Yes, we're open. Living Faith with Needham UCC, a sermon podcast from the Congregational Church of Needham United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you're invited and welcome. This sermon for Sunday, March 20th, 2022, is entitled Undeserving. It's a reflection on a reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to find out more about our open and affirming ministries at the Congregational Church of Needham, United Church of Christ, simply head over to our website, www.needhamucc.org. Thank you. Our scripture reading for today comes from the New Testament, from the Gospels, from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Let's listen together for a living word from God for us in these words from Luke, chapter 13. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those eighteen persons who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year, until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Friends, God is still speaking to the world and to us. May our hearts be open to listen and to respond. Amen. One of my favorite books growing up through my teenage years was The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, written by Douglas Adams. It had that perfect blend of snarky adolescent humor and wordplay that I loved at the time, that time in my life because, well, I was a snarky adolescent who loved wordplay. At the heart of this great, big, ridiculous, four-volume trilogy, science fiction, space opera comedy, was this joke. Approximately 17.5 million years ago, a race of beings with a philosophical bent created a giant supercomputer they called Deep Thought to give them the answer to the ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything. I hope you can hear the capital letters there. The computer took its time. It took, in fact, 7.5 million years 
to calculate that answer, which it announced to the many times great-grandchildren of its original programmers, was 42. That's it. Just the number 42. At which point they realized they didn't understand what the question really was. And that they would need another, even bigger computer and another 10 million years to formulate that. All of which reminds me, as we approach this text from the Gospel according to Luke, that being clear about the questions we ask is very important. Because what questions we ask will determine what answers we find and whether we can understand them. Not coincidentally, our passage today opens with a question. Some folks in the crowd around Jesus ask him about a terrible incident recently reported in the news, ripped from the headlines of the day. Pontius Pilate, the occupying Roman governor of Judea, had ordered some pilgrims from Galilee, the neighboring and famously unruly and uprising province and Jesus's home territory. Pilate ordered them murdered as they visited the holy temple in Jerusalem. And in a particularly grisly move, Pontius Pilate had their blood mixed with the blood of their sacrificial offerings on the altar. The question, Jesus, is this. Do you think that because the Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? In other words, did these people do something to deserve to suffer and die so horribly? Or was their suffering undeserved, an equally unsavory option? Jesus sees their question and raises them another Well, what about those 18 people I heard about just the other day who died when the watchtower at the pool of Siloam collapsed? Did they deserve that? Were they worse people somehow than everyone else in the entire city of Jerusalem to deserve such a terrible fate? Was God punishing all these people for some secret sin? Was their suffering just or unjust? Or is God just capricious, or worse, malicious? These are the sort of questions we still ask today. And understandably, in the wake of tragedies large and small, by which I mean those affecting many people more widely and those striking close to home. Because it's all tragic and painful, and every wide-scale tragedy is made up of so many more personal losses. It's always personal to someone. And we want to know, why, God? Why? Why did this happen? Who caused this? Who did what to deserve this? Who do we blame? The victims? The perpetrators, the action or inaction of lawmakers, ineffective building codes and shoddy construction. How do we justify this loss? 
It's a very human response. We are meaning-making animals, and we are hardwired to see or at least to seek patterns in the world around us. And it seems we are also moral-making animals as well. We want to be able to clearly identify some people as good and see them rewarded, and others as evil and see them punished. Hence the famous question, why do bad things happen to good people? And if they do, what's the point? What's the lesson we're supposed to learn? It's a theme we see woven throughout the scriptures handed down to us and woven into the faith we've inherited as well. So much so that we think God must ask the same questions. Who's to blame? Who deserves to die? And who deserves to die horribly? But it's not the question Jesus is interested in answering in this passage from Luke, which is interesting in its own right, because, of course, Jesus himself intuits that the powers that be are in all likelihood going to kill him when he reaches Jerusalem with his gospel message of total liberation, especially for the lowest and least, the marginalized and oppressed. Jesus isn't interested in talking about just versus unjust suffering, about who deserves to die and who doesn't. In large part, I believe, because he doesn't believe God works that way. Death isn't a punishment any more than life is a reward. His answer to the questions posed in this text is an emphatic no, just no. Jesus and Jesus' God don't play the blame game. Shake the magic eight ball and ask again. The question Jesus wants to ask and to talk about in this passage isn't about morality. It's about mortality and about opportunity. We are all going to die. Those Galileans in the temple, the folks killed by the tower, you see, you, me, everyone, everywhere. Jesus announces bluntly, as bluntly as those smudgy dust-to-dust crosses on our foreheads did on Ash Wednesday just a couple of weeks ago. Everyone dies. But everyone also has an opportunity to live for however long. The real ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything is, what are you going to do with your life? Or as Jesus puts it, since you're going to perish like everyone else, and you don't know when, why not repent now? The axe may fall today, tomorrow, or 20 years from now, he goes on. Every day is an opportunity, a gift of grace. Don't waste it wondering. Use it. Repent. That is, quite literally, change your mind to change your mindset about life and death. And live. 
Stop reading life, and by the way, stop reading the Bible as though it were some adolescent comic book morality tale where the bad guys wear black hats and get what's coming to them, and the good guys, if they die, die nobly. God doesn't watch the world with their finger hovering over the smite button on their computer, just waiting to dole out some good old-fashioned divine justice. And stop complaining when God doesn't. Whoever told you that was, was trying to sell you something, and it wasn't the gospel. Close that chapter and open another. One less about parsing out who dies and why and who's to blame, and more about living and bearing good fruit now. Don't wait around just hoping to see some good old-fashioned blood and guts divine justice at work in the world. Make new truth and reconciliation justice now. Build peace and the things that make for peace now. Offer compassion to your neighbors, yourself, even your enemies now. As Charles Wesley, the founder of the Methodist method of Christianity and woefully underrated outside of Methodism, in my opinion. As he put it, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you can. And here I can hear Jesus chime in, because who knows, tomorrow you may die. Believe it or not, that's the gospel good news we have from Jesus, who has less of a rose-tinted view of the world than many of us have been led to believe. Perhaps not surprisingly, really, considering he himself would be arrested, tried, tortured, and executed. And soon, for all his radically countercultural views of the preciousness of life, the belovedness of all people. Softly and tenderly, it's not. But heartfelt, heartfelt and true it is. A truth we hear more modernly in the words of poet Mary Oliver of recent blessed memory. In her poem, The Summer Day. That poem ends with these lines. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Or as Auntie Mame put it with a Christ-like bluntness in the film of the same name, life is a banquet and most poor suckers are starving to death. Repent, Jesus says. Change your mind and your mindset. Set aside the fruitless, distracting talk of deserving and make it your goal with whatever days are dealt you that neither you nor anyone else will starve to death for lack of the good fruits, the best fruits of love, justice, and peace. Friends, if you have heard the gospel here today, remember to give all honor and glory to our one God, creator, Christ, and Holy Spirit. Amen.